And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 5 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you there in the rows, it's page 978. And as you uh, turn to Ephesians 5, I want to give you a statement that uh, I I think will stick, all right? Um, It is great to have great expectations, but it is unwise to have unrealistic expectations. All right, let me say that again. It is great to have great expectations, but it is unwise to have unrealistic expectations. Now, listen, we all have expectations, right? I mean, just think about the, the, maybe the primary spheres of your life. We all have expectations as it relates to our work life, right? Um, and we should have great expectations as we go. You know, it's a large part of our life that we, we don't want to just kind of be a drag and just kind of go to work and it is what it is and who really cares. No, we want to have great expectations. But at the same time, if we have unrealistic expectations, uh, then that, what is that probably going to lead to is a series of frustrations in the workplace. You can think about this in many different areas of life. Uh, This morning, I want us to think about it in terms of relationships. Expectations, we should have great expectations, but it is unwise to have unrealistic expectations. One of the greatest lessons I learned in seminary was from a marriage and family class that was taught by one of our ethics professors um, at Southeastern where we went to school. And uh, what he said is this, okay, he used this analogy, he called them phantoms, okay? Phantoms are unrealistic standards and expectations that we have of either our future spouse or our spouse, okay? So, so think about this. We, we all have this, this phantom, this, this ideal out there that, that man, my, my husband or my wife is going to be, you know, kind of the perfect spouse, right? I mean, they're, they're always like, if, whatever, our, whatever our standard is, the house is always clean. Maybe now some, some husbands or some wives don't, don't care about that at all, but others do. So like the house is always clean. They're going to have unbelievable parenting skills and, and always just be on point when it comes to parenting. Or, you know, man, they're, they're going to they're gonna be so spiritual. That they're just going to serve as the greatest example for me. So they're going to get up every morning, spend hour, hour, two or three hours with God. And then after that, they're going to go running and stay in shape, you know. And so, so it's not just about, you know, um, how much money they make. We have expectations that relates to money, but then also, you know, how good they're continuing to look. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so, so we have all of these different expectations, how, how our spouses will serve us and meet our needs, however you want to chase that and define that. These are called phantoms, phantoms that we chase after. And, and this, this not only is a reality when two people may be heading into marriage, but it is also a reality as two people continue in marriage. We, the, the, the seasons may change, but the false expectations are something that we're just going to be, uh, be inclined to want to embrace. And we know that, that, that social media doesn't always help, right? Okay, so, so we look on Facebook and Instagram and we see the, you know, the couple that are out on a date, you know, with the candlelight and all this. And we're thinking like, man, where's my, wasn't, this is Friday night, why well, I'm at home, you know what I'm saying? So we, we, have these, we have these comparisons that we make. And, and by the way, this is so applicable, all right? Whether you're talking about marriage or you're just talking about your personal life. Okay, here, here's a little secret. 
with social media. Everyone's on social media these days. Okay, people only put their highlight reel on social media. You know what I'm saying? You get that? So they're only putting what's best about their life, right? No one's putting the moments when they're mad and angry. No one's putting the moments when they're bored and nothing's going on, okay? So, so why would we look to social media and compare our lives to what we see on there or our marriages to what we see on there? And yet, this is what we do, right? So let me, let me give you a couple of encouragements here, all right, as it, as it relates to these phantoms, all right? Number one, focus on who God has called you to be, all right? Number one, focus on who God has called you to be. And then number two, focus on who your spouse is becoming. Focus on who your spouse is becoming. Paul is going to help us see God's design for marriage, who he wants us to be in the marriage, in the relationship, but also how he wants us to work and serve and pray in such a way that our spouse is actually becoming a better person in Christ in our marriage. And so listen, my assumption here is this. There is not one married couple in the room today that would say, hey, we've got it all figured out, we've arrived, we don't need to grow anymore in our marriage. Okay, there's not, there's not one married couple in here that would say that. We all have room to grow in our marriages. I can certainly attest to that in my own marriage. But, but here's, here's the beauty of it, okay? Yes, marriage can be challenging. Yes, it can be hard. Yes, it can be hurtful. Yes, there is brokenness in our marriages, but... Marriage can bring great, great joy, and marriage provides an opportunity for us to point to the greater marriage that we see in Scripture. And so what, what I want us to think about this morning, this, this, kind of, this kind of the overarching theme that I want us to consider is that, that there is a marriage that is revealed in our marriage, Okay? There, there is a greater marriage that is revealed in each individual Christian marriage. And, and so the point I want you to take away is this. Uh, marriages thrive when they reflect and reveal the greater marriage in the gospel. Okay? Marriages thrive when they reveal and reflect the greater marriage in the gospel. What we have in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, is the longest statement in the New Testament on marriage. And so if you're married today, you're probably thinking, man, this is great. I can't wait to listen to this. Maybe there's going to be something in here that's really uh, relevant to my life, my marriage. And so I I'm going to be all ears and take really good notes and hopefully put these things into practice. And that's, that's great. I hope you do. But, but if, if you are not married today, perhaps, perhaps you're single, I hope that you will listen up as well. Because number one, listen, there is a lot of wisdom in here that is applicable to any relationship and friendship, all right? That's number one. Number two, I just want to kind of use this, this test case as, as a, an example for how we should listen to the word every Sunday, okay? So, so listen, do you come to church? This is good. I need to hear this, all right? Do you come to church to only listen for yourself, well, hold on, I thought we were family. I thought we were supposed to love one another, serve one another, care for one another. So, so when I hear a sermon, when I open up my Bible in the morning and hear from God, is it only for me? No. 
It's, it's so that I can encourage and pray for and, 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 and help someone else out in their life. So, so don't just listen for yourself this morning. Listen for someone that you know, maybe a married couple or an engaged couple that you know that, that, is, that, that needs your prayer and support and encouragement. Everybody hear me on that? That's good, right? Because right, we're just, man, I'm selfish. I just want to read, when I read the Bible in the morning, man, God, what do you have for me? But, but Christ who counts others more than himself, who doesn't look to his own interests, but the interests of others. He's not just, he wouldn't just have me listen for myself. He would have me listen for those around me. So I hope that that uh, sticks this morning. Okay, so here, here's what I want to do. Okay, I've never, never done this before uh, with, with this passage, but I, I hope this will help, okay? I want to provide a framework for us to think about marriage. And what we're going to do is not just focus on verses 22 through 33 in Ephesians 5, but we're going to look at the, the entire chapter just in, in, in brief, okay? And what we're going to see is there is a marriage behind the marriage, okay? Then you have the marriage itself, and we'll spend most of our time on the marriage itself today. But then, not only do you have the marriage behind the marriage, but you have the marriage beyond the marriage. And Paul's going to talk about that as we go through. So this is a framework. If you, if you want a marriage to thrive, you need to understand the marriage behind the marriage and the marriage beyond the marriage. Okay, so, so how, does, how does Paul uh, start off? Well, um, he's, he's been in Ephesians talking about who God is, who we are, and how we can be uh, living our lives for God. And so this is the marriage behind the marriage. There is a greater marriage in the world that God wants us all to experience, and that is the, the unification of our lives to the life of God. That's what Paul's been talking about, Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, and the first part of 5. He's saying, look, Jesus was sent by the Father. God the Son was sent by God, God, God the Son was sent by God the Father so that we could re-experience the love that God created us to experience in the very beginning. You see that? So God, God in love created us for a loving relationship with him. We all, the Bible says, have rejected God's love in, in some way, shape, or form, which lead, leaves us in a relationship that is broken with God, but through Christ's death, his substitutionary death for us on the cross and his perfect life, we can have that loving relationship restored. And so it's not surprising then that the Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament talks about our relationship with God in terms of a marriage. So Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8 say this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us ex rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Lamb is Jesus Christ. And his bride, the church, his people has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So this marriage, behind the marriage is each individual being reconciled, united to Christ, 
And that puts them in a position then to have all of their relationships in life. Every single relationship in life, your, your neighborhood, your workplace, your friendships, okay, all relationships are now radically redefined because you have been united with Jesus. So that's what chapter 5 is about. He's going to start off, he's going to say, be imitators of God, verse 1. And then verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He's going to say, walk in light, walk in wisdom, be filled with the Spirit. These are all ways that we grow in our relationship with God and honor him with our lives. And so what Paul is doing here is he's going to then get very practical into the fundamental relationships of life, and he's going to say this, as you imitate God, as you walk with him in love, light, and wisdom, and are increasingly filled with the Spirit, this is going to show up in how joyful you are, how grateful you are, and it's going to surface in the relationships that you enjoy in life. That is the marriage behind the marriage. If you want to get marriage right, it starts first with your vertical relationship with God. This is why Jesus would say, when asked by a lawyer in his day, hey, Jesus, there's so many commandments. I can't keep up with them all. What is the greatest commandment? What, is, what does Jesus say? Love, love God with everything you are, heart, heart, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And, and, then, and then the second is like it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. So if we get the vertical relationship right, then that is going to influence our horizontal relationships, and this is most certainly true in marriage, okay? So, so first, we have to get right the marriage behind the marriage before then we get to the marriage itself, and that is our second uh, thought today, okay? The, the marriage, and this is what Paul dives into in verse 22 of chapter 5. Now, now here's what I want to say first, okay? Listen to this. Most people, I think we could say all people, from moment to moment, have, have a general approach to their marriage, okay? This may really uh, flavor the way that they interact with their spouse continuously, or it may not, one may not define how we interact with our spouse, but we may see it surface in little moments here and there, okay? Here, here it is, okay? We either uh, engage in marriage as a consumer, or we engage in marriage as a covenant keeper, you got this? A consumer mentality will say this, what's in it for me? This is what consumers do, right? We, we shop, we consume, we get what we want when we go out. So, so a consumer mentality says, what's in it for me? And fulfillment happens when I receive in the relationship. But a covenant mentality doesn't say what's in it for me. It says what is in it for them. Not how can I receive in this relationship, but how can I give? And here's the irony. When, when you approach marriage as covenant and you, you live to give, you find out that in your giving, you receive so much. That's the beauty of how Christ works in our marriages. So, so here, here's Paul's aim, okay? He wants to show husbands and wives how they can have a fabulous marriage, Okay? We're not just in the, like, good marriages at Redemption. Okay, we want, we want marriages to thrive and grow and be all that God intends for them to be. So how does that happen, okay? It, it happens by understanding the essence of marriage, 
which Paul's going to say at the end, it's, it's about two individual people becoming one, all right, united in the marriage, but these two individual people must play out their God-given roles, okay? Wives have a role in the marriage. Husbands have a role in the marriage. And, and if a marriage is going to thrive, they have to, to, to get that right and in a unified way. And all of this, as we're going to see, is driven and motivated and influenced by the gospel itself, the good news about Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's, let's read these verses. I'm going to stop at verse 31. Let's read 22. Through 31 together. Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord's. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." All right, so let's, let's have some fun here, all right? Let's just, okay, first two words out of the gate. Let's, let me just talk about the elephant in the room. Did you read those first two words? What do they say? Wives, some, what? Oh, what? what? Yo, no, 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 Pastor T, man, this is, two, this is 2015, man. Come on, come on, Paul. That was, that was in the 60s, man. Not 1960s, like 60-60s, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is 2015. He can't, he can't be serious. This can't apply today. All right, so let's just, let's just think about it, all right? Let's just think about it, okay? My, my job, all right, as a pastor is to not say what I want the Bible to, what, what I want it to say, okay? I'm just, my job is, like, God has given me a job to say what I believe it says, all right? So, so here's, here, here's what I... I think it, it, it's saying, all right? You can, you can disagree, by the way, but here's what I would ask you to do. Disagree with integrity and honesty, not, not based on what you want it to say, but on a real dealing with what the scripture says, okay? And probably if this is, if this is a new concept for you, you're probably gonna need to think about it. You're probably gonna need to reread some other passages. You may even wanna sit down over a cup of coffee and just say, hey, I really wanna think about this. This is foreign uh, to me, and, and I really want to, 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 to hear uh, you know, more about this topic. And if that's you, great. Let's, let's, let's do that. Coffee's on. Coffee's on me, all right? As long as it's not too many. I'm not just joking. All right, so, so here we go. Okay, you, ha- you have two views on relationships in the home, all right? Number one, you have the egalitarian view, okay? Egalitarian, you get the, kind of the, the, the idea of, of equality across the board. Egalitarians say that men and women, okay, we're talking 
and remember, this is the marriage relationship here, okay? So, so husbands and wives are equal in essence, okay? That means they have the same worth and dignity before God. Who they are, one is not greater than the other, all right? But they, they would say then also when it comes to roles and responsibilities, there is also no distinction in terms of how they function in the marriage, okay? So that is an egalitarian view. A complementarian view, which is what I would hold to, is this, that, that yes, we are equal in essence, all right? My wife, Marsha, is an unbelievable woman, all right? And in God's sight, man, I am, I am no better than her, and she's no better than me. She's no more dignified or, or worthy in God's sight than me, and I'm certainly no more dignified or worthy in God's sight than her. But we do have, I believe, distinct roles and responsibilities in how we live out our relationship in our home. So there is a particular uh, way that God wants us to relate to one another, a particular kind of order in our relationship so that the functionality of our relationship can thrive and flourish and so, so here's what I want to do. I just want to, I'm going to try to be quick here. But I want to give you just four considerations. If this kind of is like, uh, 60s, not to 2015, I just want to give you four considerations, okay? N- number one, be careful not to interpret based on your experience, okay? So, so, so we're, we're prone to do this, right? It's just like, man, that doesn't add up. I haven't, I've seen rocky marriages. I've seen marriages where husbands don't really love their wives. And so, man, I can't buy that. I can't get there. But what we do is we, we base our understanding of God's word on our, on our own experiences. And so let me just speak as a pastor, okay? As a pastor, do, do I have reservations speaking about God as father because there are a lot of irresponsible dads out there? No. Why? Because earthly dads are to reflect our heavenly father. So I'm going to get like, until I'm dead, I'm going to keep talking about God as father because that's who God has revealed himself to be. Okay. So we don't, we don't throw away that doctrine just because we have some bad experiences. And I think the same should be true in how we look at marriages. Okay. Number two, be careful how you read the Bible. Right? Just, I've already kind of said this, but, but be honest and have integrity in your interpretation. There are a lot of things in the New Testament that sound radical to us in our culture. I mean, who's like signing up for die to yourself? Love your enemies. This is countercultural truth that we have, not just in Ephesians 5, but all throughout the Bible. So we have to be careful. It's like, man, I'll take that, but I'll leave that over there. So at least let's, let's have integrity in how we're seeking to understand these arguments. And, and here's a common one, by the way. Someone would say, you know what, man, Paul, that was for his culture, not our culture. And, and, and here's, here's the counterargument to that, all right? Every time Paul is talking about this, 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, even here, what Paul is doing is not arguing from a cultural perspective, but he's grounding everything he's saying in creation. This is how God created it before the fall, before everything was, was messed up in our world. This was God's plan, order, and design in the very beginning. Okay, so I, I can't buy the cultural argument because Paul is talking about creation and not culture, right? So, so be careful how you read the Bible. Uh, number, number three, this is a good one. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. So think about the Trinity, all right? The Trinity says there is one God, three persons, the Father the Son, the Spirit. They're all fully God, right? They all share the same divine essence. 
The Spirit is no less God than Jesus or the Father, right? And so, and so Jesus can say in John 10, I and the Father are one, but then he can also say, the Father is greater than I. And he can pray, your will be done. And so the Father may plan the mission, Jesus may execute the mission, and the Spirit may apply the mission. They're all equal in essence, but they have distinct roles in how they're playing out and fulfilling that mission. And I think we see a parallel in marriage. And then finally, I would just say this. All right, wives, we're going to talk about submission, um, but we're going to talk a lot about husbands loving their wives. So I would just say, look what is expected of husbands. All right, before you, before you think, ah, no, that's not it, okay, just, just consider what Paul has to say uh, to husbands, which is about three times uh, the, the space of what he says to wives in this, okay? So just, I hope that's helpful for you. Um, Something, something to consider and pray about, right? So, so what then do verses 22 through 24 mean? All right, here we go. Let me first talk about what it does not mean, all right? What it does not mean. All right, number one, it does not mean that women submit to all men. All right, again, this is, this is the marriage relationship. It's talking about uh, wives submitting to the leadership of their husbands. So, so Marcia is not called to, to follow any man, you know, hey, Marsha, you should probably do this. Or they're like, no, like, she, she's, she's following my leadership, but not just the leadership of, of any man, all right? And nor does it mean that men should never submit to women. So just my life as an example, for six years, I was the intern to the president of our seminary, all right, while I was in school. So I worked for one man and three women, all right, because not only did I answer to Dr. Aiken, but I also answered to Dr. Aiken's wife, and I answered to two of his administrative assistants who were women, and so my job was to fulfill the desires and, 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 and the, the responsibilities handed down to me from all four of those people, and it was wonderful. I love Dr. Aiken and those three women today, it was, a, it was an awesome experience. So, so it's, never to, it's not to say that men should never submit to women in the workplace, otherwise, okay? And then number three, it does not mean whatever the husband says goes, all right? And I know this is, when you see the word submit, then you think this kind of servant that doesn't have a voice, right? And so we get this mental picture that husbands are permitted to be dictators while, while wives are, are, are instructed to be doormats, but that cannot be further from the truth, okay? I like what John Stott says, okay? This is submission to a lover, not an ogre, all right? Not, not bad, Pastor John Stott. So the husband is, is called to be the loving leader, but it does not mean that he makes all of the decisions, nor does it mean that all of his decisions are best to right. A wife should never, listen to this, a wife should never follow her husband where God calls you to take a different path. So, so in blunt terms, a wife should never follow her husband into sin. This is true if your husband is a Christian. This is true if your husband is not a Christian. Because your first marriage, right, the marriage behind the marriage is your marriage to Jesus, and that one takes supremacy over your earthly marriage. So that's what it does not mean. What, but what does it mean? Okay, here, here we go. Uh, submission is 
a humble recognition of divine ordering. That's what uh, New Testament scholar Peter T. O'Brien, he's an Australian uh, scholar, and, and that's, how he, that's how he terms it. I like that. It's a humble recognition of divine ordering, okay? So, so um, in the church, we don't just have like cha- chaotic, you know, kind of um, a movement in the church. We have leaders in the church, right? We have pastors and, and deacons and staff, and, and we're to lead our church in the direction that we believe God wants us to go. All right? And so there's ordering, there's structure there. And the same is true in marriage. There's, a, there's an ordering and structure in, in a marriage relationship. All right? So this word here, it reveals a wife, listen to this, voluntary and willing heart in the relationship. I like what one pastor says. He says this, um, the wife's role is to be disposed to yield to her husband's authority and inclined to follow his leadership, okay? A disposition, a humility to, to yield to the, plus, the husband's place in leadership, but all, and also an inclination with that to follow. So it doesn't mean that, again, we're not following with, 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 with you know, checking our reason at the door or checking our convictions and, and before God at the door, all right? But, but the idea is that as, as, as my husband is seeking to, to lead me in the ways that are best, my inclination is I, I want to follow him. Now, I just have to say this. It, it, as in, in our marriage, uh, for Marsha and I, when we, we get to do premarital counseling with couples that are preparing for marriage, and we always talk about this, right? We're going to go to the scripture and look at what it says. And so I can honestly say, man, this is just an easy conversation for us. By God's grace, it's an easy conversation. And why is that? Well, I have to tell you, we've been married for, for almost nine years. It's never been an issue in our marriage, Never been an issue. I don't say that with pride. I don't say I've been very grateful for this, okay? But, but for Marsha and I, it's like, okay, yes, God's given me the, the assignment to lead, but, but I'm, not, I'm not like, you know, dictating and demanding. And when, when we make major decisions, guess what we're doing? We're talking about that together. We're praying about that. We, we moved to Boston, okay? Marsha grew up in South Georgia, okay? That was a difficult move for her to think about. Man, life in a big city where it snows a lot, man, how is this gonna work out? And so at the, at the beginning, man, she was really resistant to that. Now, I sense this is where God wants us. And so it's my, my responsibility to lead our family in the direction that I believe God is taking us. But, but was I gonna drag my wife to Boston? Only if I were a fool? Really? So, so we, we talked through it, we prayed through it, we, we, until we were on the same page. That's, that's leadership. So, I mean, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, we're, sometimes, man, can we make this purchase? Should we make this purchase? And, uh, you know, sometimes I have to say, like, oh, let's, let's wait, you know. But, but, but we're working through all these things together. And Marsha not only has a voice in our marriage, she has a very strong voice at times, right? So there are times where, I, some of y'all that know Marsha, you're laughing, and I love that. Um, there are some times where I, I, I defer to her wisdom, no doubt. There are some times where I, it's not only that, it's just like, hey, whatever you think, I'm good with it, you know? If she blows it like I blow it sometimes, and we'll talk about that later, you know? We don't always make perfect decisions, but, but the point here is that, 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 that wives are, are, yes, disposed to, to yield to leadership of their husband and, 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 and inclined to follow, but... but but it's, 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 in, it's in the proper bounds. 
which, which also then, submission also involves respect. Look down at verse 33. It's a summary statement for this whole passage where he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so the, the wife is called to respect her husband in all situations, even when maybe the husband is, is not putting his best foot forward. And, and here's, the, here's the example that Paul gives. He says this, for, here's the motivation for a woman, for a wife. It is Christ and her relationship with him. So just as the church joyfully and gladly follows the leadership of Christ, so wives are to joyfully and gladly follow the leadership of their husbands. It's not begrudging. It's not, oh, man, I got to do that reluctantly. Okay, it actually should be when both husband and wife are working together, it should be an absolute joy. And at the end of verse 22, don't miss this. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So, so wives, when you lovingly follow your husband's leadership, you're actually worshiping Christ in those moments. And to be, to be blunt, when you fail to do that, you fail to worship. I think that's what Paul is saying here. So, so that's the instruction for wives. Now, what about, what about husbands, okay? Paul addresses wives in 40 words. He takes 117 words, actually 115, uh, to address husbands. And, and why is that? I think it's because husbands bear the greater way. I mean, maybe we're not as sharp and smart because okay, so we need a little more instruction. Maybe that's it. But, but, but we, we need uh, God's instruction because we are accountable for, to him as the leaders of our home. So, so what, is, what does Paul say? It can be summed up in one word, love. We are to love men, husbands. We are called to love our wives. There is no, don't miss this, okay? This is good. If you're still hung up on 22 through 24, listen. Paul doesn't say, hey, husbands, exercise your authority. Make all of it. No, he, he, he doesn't say that at all. He says love. And how are we to love? Number one, love sacrificially. The once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on our behalf sets the pattern for the daily sacrifices that we make in our home. The, the stronger appeal to abandon self-interest is actually not to the wife who follows the husband's leadership. I think it is to the husband who is to, supposed to sacrifice and lay down his life for the sake of his wife. And so husbands, let me, let me just ask you, what, what step can you take in your marriage to sacrificially love your wife? What act of love regularly implemented would radically change the dynamics of your marriage? We are called to sacrifice for our wives. Number two, he says, love with God's word. Look, look back at verse 26. He says that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so husbands, we are to take God's word and to speak it in our home. Speak it to our wives. Build them up with his life-giving word. So this, I think this, this has to include opening the Bible from time to time, not just on Sundays, you know, but... But, but opening up and reading with our wives. And man, when we, when we are taught something from the scripture, that we share that with our, our wives and build them up. And, and it's not just, hey, here's a verse. But it's like, 
what we see in Deuteronomy 6, where it's, where, wherever you're going, as you're, as you're sitting down, as you're rising, as you're going on your way, you're just, you're just letting the, the word of God influence all of your thinking and all of your, all of your, your interaction. So we love with God's word. And then we also love caringly. Verses 28 through 30, he, he says that, that we are to, to nourish and cherish our wives. And he says, look, this should, this should be pretty easy because you do this for yourself, right? So in other words, it's like Paul's golden rule for marriages, okay? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So do you nourish and care for your, yourself? Absolutely. We all do that. We all do that very naturally. And so the, 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 then the goal is to not just do that for ourselves, but to extend that for the sake of our wives. They need nourishment and, and cher, uh, to be cherished day by day, to be cared for in that way. But then what, what is the goal? I love verse 27. Look back at verse 27. It says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, as she might be holy and without blemish. Did you see the goal? The goal is splendor. The goal is absolute beauty. This is what we want for our wives, okay? We, look, men, we get it, right? We're, 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 we, we, initially, we're focused on that external beauty, Right? But, but external beauty over time, just like a, a law of nature, okay, external beauty is going to fade. That's what Proverbs 31 says. That's what experience tells us all, okay? But internal beauty can grow day by day by day. And so we're striving as we love our wives sacrificially, as we uh, give them the word, as we nourish and cherish them, then what we can do then, what God does through us is he actually makes our wives even more beautiful than they already are. That's really good. So that should be, that should be our goal. My goal is a, as a husband is to help God's work in Marsha's life so that Marsha can become all that God wants her to be. I want my wife to thrive, to flourish, to be everything that Jesus wants her to be. And of course, that is reciprocated in our marriage. She also wants that for me. She's also praying that for me. And so that is the goal in our marriage. Look, look at verse 31. It says this, Paul, Paul grounds everything that he says in Genesis 2, and he says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so husbands are called to lead their wives in every way that we can be one in marriage. Spiritually one. Physically one relationally one, emotionally one, sexually one. And so think about just, just some, some tips here, okay? Uh, pray with your wife and, and lead her in the word. Spend quality time with your spouse. Turn off the TV, turn off the social media, okay? Don't say like, man, we'll get to that tomorrow night. Like really spend some quality time so you can focus on what should be the preeminent relationship in your life, that is, with your spouse. Your spouse should be your absolute best friend. 
That should be the goal of every marriage. And, and we're relationally one. That means we stick together. That means when, when rocky times come and conflict comes and sin surfaces in our hearts and it's going to surface from, from both parties, right? This is, this is the real world, okay? We're not perfect people. And so what happens is then we, we, instead of focusing on the other person's wrongdoing, we focus on our own. That's a good way to strive for relational oneness. We say, I'm the issue here. I mean, in, in marriage counsel, let me let into this, like, in marriage counseling, one time, this couple was really struggling, and so, so what I did going in, because the previous two meetings, all they want to do is talk about the other person. So I made a rule. I said, look, you cannot speak unless you were talking about your own sin. I mean, they, they couldn't do it. I mean, it's like just breaking the rule. And so, but that's, that's, that's just our nature, right? We want to focus on the other person's wrongdoing, not our own. And yet to be relationally one and, and spiritual, we take ownership for our own wrongdoing. Look in the mirror before we seek to help our spouse grow in the areas where they need to grow. So I love this. The, the longer I'm married and the more I read the scripture, the more I realize that marriage is about oneness. It's about two people becoming one. I love what Ray Ortland says. Listen to this. One flesh is essential to the biblical view of marriage. It means one mortal life fully shared. Two selfish me's starting, uh, start learning to think like one unified us. Sharing one everything, one life, one reputation, one bed, one suffering, one budget, one family, one mission, and so forth. No barriers, no hiding, no aloofness. Now total openness with total sharing and total solidarity until death parts them. This is the design that God has in our marriages. So, so the, the goal is oneness and a picture that pushes one another toward greater heights of Christ-likeness. And we do that as we fulfill our God-given role. So that's marriage. But there is not just the marriage behind the marriage and the marriage itself, but finally the marriage beyond the marriage. Look in verses 32 and 33. Paul finishes up and he says this, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let me just stop there. Paul says the mystery. What is a mystery? Remember when Paul uses this term about the gospel in Ephesians? He's referring to something that was once concealed that is now revealed and made known. And so what Paul says is the mystery, this is so cool, right, is that God made marriage to be a revelation of Christ and his relationship with the church. So we think, man, God created man in the beginning and made marriage in the very beginning. And so it was almost like, man, shouldn't Christ and the church reflect marriage? But he said, no. It's that our marriages are to reflect the gospel and how Jesus loves his bride, the church, and how the church loves Christ day by day. So if you hear nothing else I'm saying this morning, this, is, this will be a framework for you to take and apply in every area of your marriage. Your marriage was made to tell a story. Your marriage was made to tell a great story, and it is the greater story of the gospel. Yes, the story of your marriage as husband, that's, that's wonderful, but there is a greater story that our marriages should point to. So let me just ask you, is 
is the gospel the foundation of your marriage? That, that, that marriage behind the marriage is, is Christ, the foundational relationship that then is influencing all of your interactions with your spouse. Is the gospel the framework of your love in marriage? And so you ask, how could we serve one another? How could we forgive one another? How could we persevere rather than throwing in the towel? How could we really, really enjoy being married? How could we really enjoy having sexual intimacy with one person for year after year after year after year? The answer every time is Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's all pointing to his grace. And how he fills us with his love that we might love our spouse. So the gospel is the foundation of every good marriage. The gospel is the framework of love that we should display in marriage. And then it is also the fuel that powers our marriage. Marriage is most certainly work. And it is an impossible task. To follow someone's leadership when at times they're not a very good leader, that takes grace. To lay your life down for the sake of someone that isn't always on their A game, that takes grace. We need the fuel, the strength of the gospel to keep our marriages thriving and revealing that very same gospel. So let me end with this. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, when over the years... Someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strengths and flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly. It is a consummate experience. To be loved and not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that is a lot like being loved by God. That is what God wants in our marriage, to be known truly and to be truly loved. That is what God has done for us in the gospel. So can you say this morning, my marriage is what it is because of the gospel. And I want my marriage to point to that marriage beyond the marriage. I hope that is the case for you. We want to help you at Redemption Hill be able to have that kind of marriage. But let me just back up again. This is for everyone. Whether you're married or you, you may never be married, it's, that's cool. If God gives you that gift of singleness, praise, praise him for that. But li listen, can you, can you say that, that your life is what it is because of the gospel? I mean, because of what Jesus has done, now your life tells the greater story of the gospel and how you live day by day. Listen, if you've never experienced the freedom found in the gospel, we want to invite you to that today, to experience the love of Christ, that you might love those around us. If you're a husband or wife and you've never experienced the power of the gospel, there's no better day than today to do so. Let's let our lives tell the greater story of Jesus and his love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for how your truth informs our lives. Lord, thank you for the marriages that are represented in this room and, and even beyond for those that couldn't be here today. God, we need your grace. We need your grace in marriage to love and to, to sacrifice. 
or to fight through the difficult moments. Lord, we want to be a church that reflects your faithfulness in all of our relationships, in all of our friendships, and especially this, this, this relationship that we know as marriage. So God, we pray that you, as, as our rock that, that will not move, Lord, we pray that, that we would reflect your faithfulness, the security that comes from your love. So God, would you help us to experience your love day by day, that we might walk in love as you have loved us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.